2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Inherent Vice.
1: If it's a quiet night out at the beach, and your ex old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin, I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. <laughs> But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that.
0: Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh- where would I, uh, find him?
1: He's a technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks.
3: So a spare picture I could borrow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
4: Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis.
0: <laughs> Whoa! Are you all right? Am I?
1: Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. Choto, Kinichiro! dozo. Moto Panakeku. Moto Panakeku. Moto Panakeku. Hai. Hai. Hai.
0: I get you! Don't know much about history. Doc may not be a do-gooder, but he's done good. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Good luck, Doc. What a wonderful world this would be. Coming just in time for Christmas.
2: All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Inherent Vice, and the story is as follows. In a California beach community, private detective Larry Doc Sportello tends to work his cases through a smoky haze of marijuana. One day, Shasta, a former lover, arrives out of the blue to plead for Doc's help. It seems that Shasta's current beau, rich real estate tycoon Mickey Wolfman, has a wife who may be plotting to commit him to a mental hospital. When Mickey and Shasta both disappear, Doc navigates a psychedelic world of surfers, stoners, and cops to solve the case. The film is starring Joaquin Phoenix, Josh Brolin, Owen Wilson, Catherine Waterston, Reese Witherspoon, Benicio Del Toro, Martin Short, Gina Malone, and Joanna Newsom. It is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Joining me for this podcast review part of our 2014 retrospective, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. Hi, <laughs> hi, hi. We also have Cody Derricks. Yes, hello. Danilo Castro.
3: Strap in, everybody.
2: And from the Patreon listeners out there that keep these podcast reviews alive, thank you all so very, very much. We have Travis Clark. Hello, everyone. All righty. So, Inherent Vice, or as the Internet has dubbed it, Incoherent Vice. Oh, man, this is a movie that is based on a 2009 novel of the same name by Thomas Pinchon. And it is the second adaptation of Paul Thomas Anderson's career following There Will Be Blood. This was also a reteaming for him and Joaquin Phoenix after their Academy Award nominated work on The Master. Anticipation was high for this one. It premiered at the New York Film Festival in 2014, which is where I originally saw the movie. And it baffled critics and audiences everywhere Uh, split right down the middle. It seems that nobody can really agree upon this movie in many, many regards. And it's one of those movies where it's, you know, it's all deliberate, right? We're not supposed to understand it. We're not supposed to actually figure it out and get it. The movie is about other things. What those things are, I don't know. I will come clean right now and tell you all I've been dreading this podcast review for weeks because I've seen this movie now, after this rewatch, four times, okay? And each one of those times, I have said to myself, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to crack this. I'm going to get it. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. We all like Paul Thomas Anderson. So why can I not jive
5: with inherent vice, A really good way to like a movie is to tell yourself, I'm going to like it this time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It works every time.
5: Yeah. But each time I've watched it,
2: I try to do something different. I try to understand the plot, really zone in on a second viewing um, after my first viewing. Another time I've watched it, I've just tried to let it whisk me away and not think about it and just enjoy the little subtle things in the movie, the comedy and such. And then this time... I kind of did the same thing, only I also just kind of let it play and I didn't even really like pay attention. I was like giving commentary on it while talking to my roommate about it, asking questions, like kind of engaging a little bit more with it. And I know that judging by the sound of things, I think I'm in the minority here, actually, maybe on this movie, which is why I'm very extremely, maybe more than ever curious to know not just your thoughts on this movie, people but if you guys can help me understand this fucking movie. So I'm giving that honor first and foremost to Travis Clark. Travis, our guest, tell us what you think of Inherent Vice.
1: Yeah, so, um, well, you know, this movie in a lot of ways is kind of a mess, um, but perhaps against my better judgment, I am definitely a fan of it. Um, I don't know if I can help you, Matt, with trying to describe what's going on in it, because um, similar to The Master, I'm not quite sure necessarily what's going on fully during the whole thing. Um, But um, what you described earlier is kind of how I take this. And I've only watched it twice. I watched it probably in 2015 um, when it came out in theaters in my area. And then um, I rewatched it yesterday. Um, And letting it kind of just like wash over me, it's like kind of an ultimate, like, what the fuck did I just watch type of movie. Um, But I think it's so stylish and kind of fun. And it's kind of a puzzle to wrap, that I had a good time with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways it kind of gave me the same feeling that, um, the better parts of once upon a time in Hollywood did where it was just kind of like a fun hang. Um, it was super stylish. The costumes were great. Um, the needle drops, um, kind of put me in this world that PTA was building. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan.
2: I think that comparison you just made to once upon a time in Hollywood is what stuck out to me the most on this uh recent viewing I was too thinking of that movie a lot while watching this and for the exact same reasons that you said before and I think that's actually what made this viewing for me maybe the most enjoyable because it shared uh certain things I liked about that movie from a stylistic standpoint
0: Okay round 2 name something that's not boring
1: a Laundry Oh a book club computer solitaire huh
0: Ah oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com No purchase Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.
2: Um, let's hear now from... Let's hear from Cody. Cody, what do you got for okay. us? Okay.
5: So when this first came out, I remember seeing the trailer and being like, oh no. Because it really reminded me of um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, kind of. Which okay. is a, a movie I cannot fucking stand. I I, I thought it would be <laughs> I thought it would be kind of like that, which is rambling and is you know twisty turny, but not in a way that is interesting. <laughs> I think and is more kind of um, up its own ass in a way about its style. And then when I finally saw *In Your Advice, I really was kind of I, I enjoyed the way it just takes its time and it goes through the events of the film without. Uh, you know, giving you all the answers. If if this sounds like a meandering response, it's really only appropriate for this movie. <laughs> Much like the movie, don't worry about it. Don't try to follow what I'm saying. Just enjoy the ride. I, I think it really does, though, capture something of a very specific time period because it doesn't take place in the 60s Exactly. But it does have all of the same like trappings and the spirituality and the thoughts of the 60s. Well, it's
2: 1970. So the 60s are still like very much in force and the 70s haven't fully taken over yet.
5: Right. And I love anything that explores a transitional time period like that. And this really shows how almost pretty quickly out of one decade to another, they really turned a switch in terms of uh, what was acceptable in the culture and what was kind of deemed, you know, either like cute hippie nonsense or really insidious hippie stuff like the Mansons. And they bring that up a lot in this movie too. And I really think this is a good examination of why that happened even if it doesn't explicitly say that.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, uh, once again, like kind of those comparisons of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? looking at hippie culture and uh, the change that is happening. Um, This is very much like a nostalgic film. It actually made me think about how Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino kind of have like this friendly competition with one another where they're always trying to like one-up each other's films um, in a friendly way, you know? And I I often wondered if uh, Quentin Tarantino saw Inherent Vice and was like... I got to put some of that in my
5: next movie.
2: You know what I mean? And he uh, did a little bit of that in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So Thank you
5: can forget to Hateful Eight hate there, sweetie. Uh,
2: that is true. But <laughs> Hateful Eight <laughs> like was already in production started. and already underway. Yeah. So he was probably writing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood after watching Inherit Vice, if I had to take a guess. <laughs> uh, but in any event, though, uh, let's hear now from Dan
4: Baer. OK, so this is my first time watching uh, in Inherit Vice. Wow. When it came out in 2014, I I, just kind of with the reviews that it got, it was not a priority for me. And I skipped it and I haven't had reason to watch it until now. Uh, And I like it, I think. Isn't that weird? right <laughs> the, well, it's the things that I like most about it tend to be the the little things, the things on the edges of the movie, and not the things at the center of the movie, if that makes any sense,
2: yeah, like Josh Brolin uh sucking on a frozen uh chocolate banana. <laughs>
4: was all I needed out of life. And I
6: know
4: it. That's cinema right there, baby. I, that is pure fucking cinema right there. Um, I, I do kind of like the... Um, <laughs> I don't think the adaptation of noir tropes and feelings to um, 1970 always works... But the moments when it does are i uh, pretty damn amazing um but but overall, like there there is stuff to like, but like with most of paul Thomas Anderson's film for me, I don't care
2: mm. Like, like no attachment to the story or characters, basically.
4: No attachment to the story or characters, and I think there it has a really good hook to the story, and then r- ruins that hook through um, a few fi- a few narrative choices, but mostly through just having it be just scene after scene of kind of of stylized dialogue delivered in the wrong style I I think it did, it I I could see what they were going for but in a, like the first half of this movie is just all dialogue scenes between two people and they are so dense and twisty and complex that I I found myself Drifting off in my mind, <laughs> which may very well have been the intent, given that, you know, we are always with Doc Sportello and he is supposedly always in a drug induced haze or semi haze. But um, while that's admirable, I don't necessarily think it makes for a good movie. <laughs> I, I think, Dan, that you
2: kind of just hit the nail right on the head of why this movie doesn't work for me. Is I do think it is intentional. And I do think that there is a disconnect then that does develop between myself. I'm speaking for myself here, and the story and the characters, then where I it's not that I don't care, it's that it, it's that what is there, I I I you know what? Yeah, I'll just sum it up. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't. Um and so all right. I like I'm going I'm going to expand on this more. I'm sure we're all going to expand on this more. Uh let's hear now though uh initial thoughts from who's left? Danilo Castro.
3: Um I love this movie. Across the board. I love the density of it. I love the period. I love the post-hippie malaise of 1970 and I want to get into that a little bit later, but Matt to your point about what it is about what's the point why I care I think the detective uh, structure sort of uh, serves or the setting rather serves as an allegory for what's going on really what the heart of the film is um, but I want to get into that later because it's just initial thoughts Okay. Uh, I love the cast I love all the little, little jokes and little odd choices that Uh, upon repeat viewings I always catch something a little different same there's always just this whether whether it is plot related or comedy related you know a throwaway sort of reaction or something like that there's always something there and I I like that because in Anderson's work I always pull away emotional meanings upon repeat viewings you know different things but here there are little aesthetic choices that I like um I don't want to give too much away, but but yeah, no, I love this film. I'm on the complete opposite end of where Matt is. And uh, if anything, I'm going to have a hard time sort of determining what it is that I don't like, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to break down how, how it connects with me. I'm alone. Listen, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm on the journey. If you can convince me by the end of this review to bump my grade, bravo. That's what (laughs) I say. Josh Parm. What about you?
6: Well, I want to first start by saying that I am a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Like, he is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers, and... Who is it? I love... <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, like, I, like, love almost all his movies. Like, Boogie Nights, I love, Master, Phantom Thread. There will be Blood is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think it's one of the greatest, like, masterpieces ever made. I am in love with him as a filmmaker, and... Back in 2014, it's funny, Cody, that you said you didn't like the trailers of this movie because I actually did love the trailer and it got me so excited to see this movie. And at the time, I remember walking out of it feeling very underwhelmed and not really connecting to it the way that I really wanted to. And I have not revisited it since I initially saw it. And I was looking forward to watching it again for this review to get a different perspective on it. And... It is still a movie that underwhelms me, and it is actually by far my least favorite of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. And there are things about it that I think are charming and are endearing. I do like a lot of the technical elements of this film. There are some moments that do elicit like a chuckle here or there, but I do think that at the heart of it, it is the characters that I just really don't care about. And I'm all right with not really caring about the plot so much, because in a lot of these noirs, especially a lot of modern noirs, they kind of don't really want you to care about the plot. That's sort of the point of them. But I should then at least be endeared by these characters on the journey to get there. And for me, I just don't ever feel that with these characters in this film. And it really starts to have a toll on pacing of it and eventually like i got to a point in this movie it's like oh my god there's like an hour left how is there still more to tell in the story that i have to spend time with these yeah, characters that are so annoying that i don't really like so there are elements there that i can appreciate and i can understand why other people would really be taken by it but for me this material just does not work to pull me
2: in All right, there's a jumping off point here, uh, and I want to do my best uh, to try and segment this uh, since we have a couple of, uh, like a lot of voices here. Uh, All right, so let's start off with the plot first, okay? Let's start off with the plot, and let's also start off with the themes of the movie, and I'm sure that will kind of lead us into a bit of characters uh, as well. Um, So the plot, like I said before, is meant to be incomprehensible to a certain degree, right? Right. I I think that is by design, and to Josh's point, the noir genre, uh, that is, I mean, you can watch any noir film. Any of them. Hell, Motherless Brooklyn came out last year, and that also had a dense plot that was, at times, really, really difficult to follow. Uh, Under the Silver Lake was another uh, recent one as well that has actually a very similar uh, type of structure to something like, you know, Inherent Vice in many ways. So, You look at all of these and typically speaking, there are these quirky elements uh, within all of them, whether they be uh, mysterious characters or um, moments of humor or some sort of kinetic filmmaking or something like that. That kind of, you know, keeps you attentive to what's happening or it's the characters and the emotional journey that the characters go on. Let's put those things aside because that'll be talking about characters and technicals. And let's just focus in on the plot for a minute here. Danilo, I think you probably out of everyone here might have the f- most firm grasp on the plot and also the theme of the movie too, what the movie ultimately is about. You mentioned it's about uh, change before and this transitional period. I want to uh, dig into that actually and um, kind of go from there.
3: So the plot, obviously very dense not really clear on a first or second or third viewing, uh, the more you watch it, and I've seen it many times, uh, the pieces start to fall together and you start to realize that certain pieces are placed there as a as a sort of distraction. Mm-hmm. There's an early plot point involving uh, Mickey Wolfman, the guy who goes missing, the guy who sort of jumps the whole case off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is a sort of detour involving his wife and her boyfriend. And that is sort of an irrelevant plot point. So all throughout the film, you have to sort of determine which plot points to discard and which to maintain. But at the end, if you were to sort of clear out the path, it does make sense. And you do end up arriving at point Z from point A.
2: So let me ask you this question. This movie starts off with Mickey Wolfman disappearing and Shasta, who also tells him about Mickey Wolfman, also ends up disappearing.
3: Yes. All right.
2: So it starts off with that. But that's not what ultimately ends up as the ending. It, it ends up evolving into this whole thing about the Golden Fang, right?
3: The go- Yes, the Golden Fang, and then there are cults, and then the FBI is involved. All right, all right,
2: back up, back up, back up. Slow down. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So we, we... so so, somebody raise their hand here and tell me, what is the Golden Fang? Because by my count, the Golden Fang was three <laughs> things on this yeah, latest
6: viewing. Exactly. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. But that I is... think that's sort of the point is that You have the organization that is shadowy, that's involved in all these different things, but that's like every shadowy organization that you find in noir movies that I, you know, I don't really find it to be a, that compelling for me in terms of getting me invested in the plot, but I can understand from an intellectual perspective that it's sort of like, yeah, they are involved in drugs and cults and, you know, these conspiracies and they're involved in everything. And that's sort of the point as you go along in your investigation.
2: But what, but are Veda dentist signicant,
6: is it the boat?
4: What is it? It's I, I, everything.
6: So
3: it's it is. A, the, it is a, the golden is a, bang is the MacGuffin. It is the MacGuffin, but in the explicit terms of the plot, it is an organization that traffics in drugs, brings them in via the boat that is called the Golden Fang, but then it also has a front, which is a dentist office, which is the other point you were referring to, Matt. And then there's also ties to the cult that Doc visits later on in the film and so they run this sort of vertical integration system where they get people strung out but then they give people help we're doing good so far
5: right and what i think <laughs>
3: that's why it seems like there are so many branches coming off of the one element to josh's point yeah it is just meant to be the overarching evil but the, all the all the all the branches tie back to the same base
2: okay then my other question then is if this story starts off with his uh, connection to shasta How then does Owen Wilson become uh, such an important connection to Doc that by the end, uh, (laughs) he's very, very devoted to helping him, and Shasta feels almost like an afterthought to us by the end of the movie?
4: So the
3: peripheral. (laughs) 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 Because Shasta doesn't care about, and Owen Wilson does. Shasta (laughs) basically bookends the film, at least in terms of her presence.
2: Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full hour and 20 minute long review of the 2014 film Inherent Vice here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to Patreon where for $1 minimum a month under Next Best Picture, you will get this review and other exclusive podcast content as well. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.